sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, if there is a hot topic these days, it is the restrictions that we are all enduring as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And our topic today is to focus on the challenges that churches have been bringing to these restrictions. Let's take a look at you know what's winning, what's losing, what are the bases for these challenges. Our guest today has been monitoring these cases. Richard Katsky is legal director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Richard, welcome back to Freedom's Reign. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be back. So, you know, our listeners have been hearing things like, well, if Las Vegas can open the casinos, how come they don't open the churches? Or if uh, liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries here in California are essential, why are churches not considered essential? So we've seen a number of challenges in court. Uh, maybe start with what are the types of claims that churches are bringing here? Sure. So there have been a few types, although they're all closely connected. Um, it's essentially we want to be having our services, whether it's Saturday morning, Sunday morning service, or, um, or a holiday service or something like that. Or sometimes we want to be able to have gatherings, religious gatherings of other sorts. And they say the, the orders that governors or mayors or county officials put in place restricting mass gatherings or stay-at-home orders are violating their constitutional rights to free exercise by preventing them from having these religious gatherings. And the challenges, some of them are to religious, as I say, religious services, traditional ones inside the, the church, the synagogue, the house of worship. Some of them have been, um, there have been attempts to do services from your car, and there have been meetings in parks and things like that. And the challenges are mostly, are either the type of, you shouldn't be able to have any restrictions on our ability to have a religious meeting, or you are treating us worse than some other business or entity or organization um, that gets to meet. So it's one of those two kinds of things. Well, and I think the first kind of uh, learning point for our listeners here is that as a result of a Supreme Court decision back in 1990, uh, free exercise of religion doesn't have the same kind of vigorous protection that we might expect, right? So the notion that the government you know, what does the government have to show to justify closing the church? Well, that's right. The constitutional rule is a pretty simple, straightforward one. Um, and whether one likes it or doesn't like it in any particular instance, it's this. If you have a law or a regulation, you know, a governmental restriction that doesn't single out religion, um, doesn't treat religion worse than comparable other activities or, or classes of people, then it's permissible, even if because of your faith, it puts burdens on you. It makes it harder for you to practice your faith. It's the technical terms are if the law is neutral and generally applicable. But again, that means it doesn't single out religion for disfavor and it doesn't, um, and it isn't selectively applied. 
then the law applies to you, including if you're a religious person, a house of worship, whatever else. So if the state says, hey, we're in a pandemic and we've got a serious public health crisis and we need all, you know, all public gatherings to, to stop, um, the church isn't going to have any complaint against that unless it can show that it's being treated worse somehow than its comparators. And I think that's where the action's been, right? What do you compare the church to? Yeah. Do you compare it to a casino? Do you compare it to a restaurant? Do you compare it to a concert hall, to a liquor store? You know, these are the questions, right? To Costco. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there, there have been some cases where folks have just said, you can't make us obey the mass closure orders or anything else at all because we're a house of worship. And those have just those have not even been interesting as a legal matter because uh, because you have a general rule and it just applies. Um, the real action in the courts has been making the comparisons. That's right. And the question is, what is, for instance, what is the service at a house of worship most like? Um, if a state goes through and restricts things like concerts and lectures and debates and rallies and meetings uh, one way and restricts going to the grocery store a different way, then what you're supposed to ask and what the courts do ask is, is a service at a house of worship more like one of those meetings, talks, concerts, whatever, or is it more like going to the grocery store or the shopping mall or a restaurant or a gas station and houses of worship should be treated exactly the same as whatever is comparable. Um, but how that relates to things that aren't comparable is supposed to be beside the Well, at this point, and obviously this is, uh, you know, a fluid kind of developing story. Um, what's the score? How are the churches doing? So overwhelmingly, but not entirely, um, these challenges have failed. And the reason that they've failed is that um, there are sort of two things that go into it. Um, governmental entities are mostly doing a pretty darn good job of trying to figure out what a church service is most like, what the risks are, in saying if it's part of a class of things where there's a high risk, we are going to shut it down. And, and if it's a lesser risk, we treat it differently. The other thing is a lot of courts are hesitant to second-guess the judgments of the public health officials, sort of a, who are we as judges to say whether, you know, a church service is exactly like this versus that? Um, if the judgments seem sort of basically reasonable, then we're going to let it go. And only if things go wildly wrong, where it really looks like there's serious disfavor for, for religious services, real bias or differential treatment is there a problem. And that's not something that the courts have found. There are a couple of odd cases where they've stricken down um, restrictions, but um, for the most part, it's been we kind of let the government officials make the best judgments they can, and they're doing a pretty decent job, and that's just life in this weird world in which we're all living. Well, on the same token, though, the courts have been reluctant to impose sanctions, penalties, um, contempt of court. Early on, I think there was a prominent case in Florida. Um, there's a couple of cases going on as we speak here in California. And the courts do seem reluctant to, to punish churches, even though they continue to meet in violation of 
restrictions. Isn't that true? That's true. And and there are a lot of ways in which that makes a lot of sense, although I have to confess that I get a little worried um, if they're you know, uh, if government officials end up sending the message that, yeah, we've got this general law, but if you're a house of worship, you don't actually need to pay attention to it. Because it turns out that there are a lot of COVID-19 clusters, big ones, that are directly traced back to to houses of worship and choir practices and worship services. Um, and so there are real dangers here. One of the interesting things, I think, is you're going through and trying to figure out what to do with folks who break the law. I mean, normally what we would say is um, we know that people are trying to figure out how to live in these complicated situations that we're all wrestling with. I'm sitting here from my, you know, from the the bedroom in our home to be able to do this instead of sitting at my office because that's all there is. Um, but as we're struggling with these difficult situations um, and we don't want to punish houses of worship for supplying the spiritual resources that people want and need and sometimes in, in this period particularly need, but we also need as a society to take the public health seriously and recognize that if you are, as we've seen, you know, a minister in Louisiana who was haranguing the members of his congregation who weren't showing up, he, they were doing, he had like 6,000 people in the mega church and a live stream and was sort of yelling at people who were watching by live stream that they'd better get themselves to the later service that day um, because good Christians shouldn't mind if they get COVID-19 at church. Um, it's kind of gone wrong. Um, and there comes a point at which you have to do something, but you really don't want to be in the business of punishing people or houses of worship right. for doing what they do. It's hard. It's a hard situation. Well, you know, my attitude from the beginning is that we need buy-in, not enforcement. Enforcement as a strategy is a lost cause. You know, if people aren't buying a need for, you know, safe practices, then enforcement is going to be a very, very poor substitute. Now, early on here in California, there was a small church in Lodi, California, that got locked up because they were refusing to stop services. But I'm not aware of any others. You know, that's obviously something short of uh, imposing a fine or a punishment would simply be, you know, enforcing an injunction, a court order, and saying, you know, no, you can't. Like in my community, we have a large church hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands of people attending without face masks, without social distancing. And in a community our size, my family is very concerned that this could be a huge public health problem for the rest of us. And I don't expect anyone who attends that service to ever admit to anybody if they got sick where they got it from. Uh, look, I think that's right. And it's a real problem. I will say, and you pointed to this also, um, lots and lots of, whether it's religious denominations or houses of worship, are taking things really seriously and are really trying to take the lead in in preventing spread. And that makes for some difficult situations, but people are wrestling. I'll give you my own example, which I hope is not picking up on the microphone, but my son is in the, is in the next room practicing for his bar mitzvah in about four weeks, which will be by Zoom rather than live at our synagogue. And there, I will tell you, there is a real loss in not being able to join there as a family and a community uh, to recognize and celebrate this achievement. It'll be over Zoom, and the synagogue is doing the best that it can to have participation 
um, so that people can be a part of it. Um, but in the reality in which they live, the position of our rabbi and the board of the synagogue has been, even if we could open, we don't want to be the first ones to do it because we don't want to be responsible with a congregation that includes a lot of older people, infants, folks who aren't well, and folks who are coming really want spiritual support, um, that the last thing that we want to do is put their lives and their health at risk or have them go home and spread that to their neighbors. Sure. Well, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't really think about how these restrictions impact other faiths. So, you know, Protestants have it a little bit easier than many others. You know, um, certainly Orthodox and, and ultra-Orthodox Jews are not going to have a, a proper worship and prayer service without at least 10 men gathered. You know, the practice of communion in the Orthodox and Roman Catholic traditions, kind of tough to do remotely by Zoom. You know, you can't really do communion that way. A lot of what we do as Protestants in worship you know, yeah, it suffers a lot trying to build community and encouragement remotely, and uh, and yet um, our faith hopefully is much stronger than you know the uh, the challenges of a pandemic. Well, this is an ongoing story to be sure; it's not over yet. Do you expect the Supreme Court ever to uh, to definitively rule? Well, so the Supreme Court has looked at a couple of these cases, but in ways that are called being not on the merits, not a sort of a full blown argument and all of that stuff, and has thus far been unwilling to review any of these cases. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually it does take one. Um, but for the most part, I think the court is trying to stay out of it for right now. The lower courts are doing a pretty decent job most of the time of going through and, and trying to figure out whether houses of worship are being treated worse, whether religion is being treated worse than other activities. Um, and as long as that happens, I think the court would rather, as much as it can, stay out of it. I think. Our topic today has been the impact of COVID restrictions on churches and the litigation coming from that. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.